people. Is the church of Jesus Christ relevant today? Much of the world says no. In fact, uh, many believe that the church is for people who are united by fear or superstition or the notion that there is a, a white bearded man somewhere up in the sky cosmically moving men and women around on this planet like a chess match. In other words, the church is an antiquated idea, just not relevant anymore. These last uh, seven weeks, uh, what we have argued from Scripture is that the church, and specifically Hope Covenant Church, is relevant for many reasons. And let me just kind of refresh your memory on what some of those were. The Church of Jesus Christ is relevant when it reaches the lost for Christ. That was the first of the series of messages because that always, that one fact, always sets the vision for who we are as a church. When we feel passion for people who are lost, when we recognize that the gospel that we embrace, that we have, that lives in us, Christ in me, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. When we recognize that Christ in me, the hope of glory, is able to be shared with others in order to let them experience that new life in Christ. And we passionately desire to share that love of Jesus with other people. The church is relevant when it reaches the lost for Christ. Too many churches in our world today do not do that. The church is also relevant when it is generous. When we not only have the ability to uh, pray for other people, for broken people, for hurting people in the world, we have the ability to do, do something about it. Every time a crisis happens in our world, there's the first responders there, which is police officers and, and firemen and, and, and earthquake teams and like that. But the second responders are always the same. It's the church of Jesus Christ. They go in there to these places and they pour food and love and money into these places. We are generous. That's when we're relevant. And when we, if we want to be generous as a church, that means that we have to be uh, generous about giving our tithe, our full tithe to the Lord. Generous about making sure that we do not have debt personally and making sure that our church does not have debt corporately. That's when we can be a generous church. We also recognize that the church is, is relevant when it celebrates Uh, The furious, compelling, sometimes almost overwhelming love of Jesus. Jesus is not interested in a peck on the cheek or a walk in the park. (laughs) He's interested in your life. He wants to be married to you. He wants to be intimate with you. He wants to know you. He wants to fill you with his love and his passion so that that overflows into the world. We are A relevant church when we recognize and celebrate the furious, irresistible, contagious love of God. We are also a relevant church when we love and reach our children with the gospel. As you all know, 80% of people who come to Christ do so before the age of 18. What's happening over here and over here? We've got about 50 teenagers over here and about 80 children over here right now who are hearing about the love of Jesus. And a church is relevant when they recognize that this generation is not the future of the church. This generation is the church. <laughs> it is the church. And we're, and we're going to make sure as a church that that's what we believe. So we're relevant when we recognize that children need to find Christ. We also recognize that we're a relevant church when uh, we are a church that is able to satisfy the hungry and quench the thirsty. When people are searching for something that will satisfy their soul, 
When people are searching for something that will literally take away their, their hunger, that hole in their heart and their thirst. When we are a church that says there's only one thing that will fill that up. It's not drugs. It's not money. It's not jobs. It's not situations. It's not alcohol. It's not sex. It's not gambling. It's not, when we recognize that there's only one thing that feels, fills that emptiness in our soul, and that's Jesus. My only hope is Jesus. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And then we recognize that we're a relevant church when last week we talked about when we radiate unity. And I, I, it was interesting to me. Sometimes I, I wonder how a sermon communicates. And last week I got more emails and phone calls from you. This really struck a chord with you last week. That we are to be a church that's united. United. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's what we're united around. Heart and purpose. And the Bible says very clearly, you want the world to know about God? They will know about God by the way that you love each other. People right here in this church. The way you love each other is the way people in the world will know that there is a God. So that brings us to this morning. That's just, that's just kind of an hors d'oeuvre. Okay? So now we're, now we're going to come to the entree. Uh, today, we, as we conclude the series, we, we're, we recognize that we're a relevant church when we, um, when we make disciples. Let that sink in when we make disciples. Let me express uh, what this idea means to me. So Jesus took this enormous gamble. Um, as he prepares to go to the cross, uh, he goes in the garden to pray. And uh, he prays to his heavenly father. And this is recorded in John chapter 17. One, one of the, the most powerful prayers in the Bible is John 17. And as he goes to pray, the first half of the prayer is he's communicating with his father in heaven. Here's Jesus, God in the flesh, talking to his heavenly father. And uh, they're having this communication about about his work, about Christ's work, what he was called to do and what he was supposed to do. And Jesus said to the father, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. So you read that and say, wow, Jesus is telling the father, I've completed this work that you gave me to do. So we we start thinking about, well, what is that work he gave Jesus to do? And uh, what, what's shocking to me is that when Jesus summarizes his work on the earth, uh, he doesn't mention one sermon. He doesn't mention the many times he healed somebody. He doesn't mention the great rallies he had and feeding the 5,000. And he, he doesn't mention uh, bringing the dead back to life. You'd think you'd put that in your resume. doesn't mention any of that. Instead, he talks about Twelve men. At this time, eleven, right? Because, you know, Judas is out of there. He's talking about eleven men. That his work on earth was to pour his love and his life into those eleven men. And this is what he said in John 17. And, and you can sense the intensity of affection that he had for this band of disciples. He talks about these men as if, as if they were his heart, his life, and they were. He had invested in their lives completely for three years. And Jesus is now praying to the Father about the disciples. And here's what he says. I have revealed you to those, those means his disciples, whom you gave me out of the world. Now he's talking about his work that he's completed. Father, I've completed my work. And, and now he's, he's talking about his work. And now all of a sudden, instead of talking about his healings and his raising people from the dead, he's talking about these men. He said, all I have is yours and you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them, the disciples. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me, the disciples again. This is all in his prayer to his Heavenly Father. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, 
that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. (laughs) That's what he wants for these 11 uh, ragamuffins, right? And then for them, I sanctify myself that they too may truly be sanctified. Jesus lived for these men. He staked everything on their relationship that he had with them. They were responsible for carrying on this message of Jesus, the good news of Christ's power to save and transform people by the power of the Spirit. He he was giving them this task to carry on. So after prayer and communion, Jesus went to the cross and he died. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. And you know that story. And Matthew 28 describes now what he's telling his disciples that he wants in the final moments, these final moments with his disciples before he sends into heaven, the eleven gathered around him, and Jesus spoke these words. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. After intentionally spending his life on earth with these 11 men, Jesus now told them this. Now you go out and do the same with others. See, God's plan to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the mega strategy of Jesus to make this world turned upside down and for people to find peace and security and salvation through Jesus. The mega strategy of Jesus is always the same. It's this. Make disciples. Make disciples. Well, I wonder what my purpose is for this being on this planet. You know, remember 40 Days of Purpose uh, from Saddleback Church? We did that. It's great material and everything. But when I, when I, when I look at the Scripture, there's one purpose that always pops above everything else. Yes, we want to worship. We want to pray. We want to be connected to each other. But the thing that pops is make disciples. That's God's strategy. Hasn't changed. It's you. God's strategy is you. I wish I wouldn't, I couldn't have put that burden on you, but I do because that burden's on me as well. God's mega strategy for changing the world with the good news of Jesus Christ is you and your responsibility to make disciples. Well, what's a disciple? Well, a disciple, quite simply, is one who follows Christ. And a better description in Scripture is this. Uh, A disciple is an image bearer of Jesus. An image bearer of Jesus. If, If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you bear his image. The Bible says that you can have the mind of Christ, you can have the heart of Christ. That's bearing the image of Christ in your life. So many times we get caught up in our world, and even as Christians we do this. We, we become receivers, and we receive the Word of God, and that's good. And we receive uh, God's blessings, and that's good. And, but we're receiving all these things, and, and that's all good, but uh, sometimes when you always receive, you end up being a consumer. Oh, Lord, forgive us for being consumers. We're not supposed to be receivers as much as we're supposed to be reproducers. Reproduce the image of Christ in other people. When somebody says, you know, uh, I I need to know how to pray. Don't send them to a prayer seminar. Kneel down with them and pray with them. 
When somebody says, well, I, I need to know the word of God. Well, go talk to Pastor Dwayne. Well, no, I can't do that to everybody, for everybody. You do it. When we start reading the scriptures, instead of saying, God, show me something, that's okay at times, right? But instead, why don't we say, how can I listen to the word of God so that I am equipped to teach others? Isn't that a new way to look at scripture? How can I hear the word of God so that I am equipped to teach others? I, I grew up in a small church in uh, Southern California, as you know, in San Diego County. And uh, my pastor, he wasn't the best pastor in the world, but there's one thing he did. He poured his life into me. And I remember even as a teenager, after school, he would take me out and go visiting uh, senior citizens and going to the hospital. He would uh, tell me about his process, how he, how he wrote sermons. And they weren't very good sermons, but at least he was teaching me how to approach the Word of God so that I could learn how. And all of these things, he was kind of pouring his life into me. He could have said, Dwayne, someday I think maybe you'll be a preacher. He didn't really say that. Other people said that. I never wanted to hear that. But Pastor Woodhouse did it. He showed it. We had uh, last Christmas, uh, um, we had several folks in our church that were uh, actually we had over 100 people in our church that made Christmas morning want dinner and then took them to the homeless. It was just an awesome thing. And one of the people that headed that up was Carol Greenlaw. And uh, uh, Carol was talking about how that would go. And so the homeless people, you give them this food and they're very grateful, very thankful. Thank you so much. But what Carol did and some of the others, they sat down and they ate with the folks. So which of those two things do you think feeds a person's soul better? <laughs> Yeah, here's food. Stay over there. Go, you can get some food over there. See, the Bible's... Yeah, go, go get some Bible over there. Go get some prayer over there. Go get some worship over there. No. Let me show you. Let me feed you. Let me be in your life. Let me disciple you. Go and make disciples. See, if we're to be a relevant church, we can't be a church of bloated Christians. <laughs> you are always feeding ourselves. Kind of like the... Dead Sea. The reason the Dead Sea is dead is because nothing new ever leaves it. New water comes in and then it just stagnates. We can't be just sated Christians. Intentionally, God has called us to his mega strategy that was the same what he told the 11 disciples 2,000 years ago. It's the same today and the answer is always the same and it's you. You go and make disciples. Not the preacher, not the missionaries. You go. And make disciples. That's what God has called us to do. So, how does making disciples work? Well, it starts with growth. You can't help someone else grow if you're not growing yourself. Uh, Spiritual growth is not so much about doing, but it's about becoming. You know we've talked about this a lot. Spiritual growth is not about a checklist. Well, I read my Bible today. I prayed. I gave some alms. I, you know, I, I packed a shoebox. You know, it's, that's not. A, it's about becoming more and more the image bearer of Jesus Christ. More and more the mind of Christ. How do I do that? By daily giving your mind, your thoughts to God. Philippians four eight all over that. By giving your heart day by day, the Spirit of Christ living in me, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Colossians one twenty seven. All of that day by day growing in your personal relationship. It's not about doing, it's about becoming. It's not the list. The more and more I become like Christ, the more I love things Christ loves and I hate things Christ hates. Christ loves to help people that are broken and hurting. He hates people that hate other people. Did you know that? 
One of the very few things the Bible says that God hates, he hates people that hate other people, other types of people, other groups of people, them. We've got to love the things God loves and hate the things God hates. You were created to become like Christ, friends. At the time, the same time, however, you are imperfect, and you read the sign, I met a new guy this morning who said, you know, I, I, I belong here, I'm imperfect. Well, I said, welcome, I'm the pastor and so am I. We all are. God's ultimate goal for our life is not comfort. Let me say that again. Some of you say, huh? God's role and purpose for your life is not comfort. It's a change of character. It's changing who you are on the inside. God wants us to grow. Now, one of the reasons that we have uh, our small groups are not called small groups. They're called grow groups. And we try to identify the most important reason that we gather in small groups, and that's to grow spiritually, to disciple each other, to build each other up, to help each other become more and more like Jesus Christ, to become image bearers. So what does that mean to grow? I just want to tick this off because it's just a small part of what I want to say today. But um, what does it mean to grow? Let me just do an acrostic so you kind of remember this uh, very well. The first part of growing, of course, is God's word. Shaping our actions and our lives, the word of God shaping our actions and our lives. We are people of the word. We are people of the book. Part of our heritage and our our core class is meeting today. We have about 16 people in our core class, uh, people that are uh, new to our church. Uh, Our core class learned a couple of things about our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church. We came out of Swedish Lutheranism. They left Lutheranism to uh, really experience new life in Christ in a powerful way in small groups. And uh, two things that they did regularly. First of all, they were known as the people of, and so, uh, some of you heard this before, the people of what? The dirty book. Amen. They were known as the people of the dirty book. Now, that didn't mean, they didn't have Playboy back in those days. What they did have is the Bible and these hardworking farmers, smithies, these hardworking people, their hands still soiled, came home and they opened the word of God. And because of that, their Bibles got literally soiled. They were known as the people of the dirty book. May we be like that. And the other thing, the other thing they always asked each other is, where is it written? Well, people of the book say, I believe so and so. Well, that's good. Where's it written? Because <laughs> uh, I'm not quite honestly, I love you, but I don't care what you think. I do want to know what God thinks, right? So, so where is it written? We are people of the book. God's word, growth always starts with you in a chair with the word of God on your lap. Okay? But it also is about GR relationships. Nurturing our spiritual growth through relationships. Healthy and effective spiritual growth takes place in the context of relationships. Let me share with you a passage of scripture uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And let me read that for you. Here's what it says. As soon as I can find it on my notes. Here we go. Okay, somebody moved Deuteronomy 6. I have no idea where they moved it. Okay, how could that happen? There it is. Okay. It's on my, I, I have the same sermon notes you do. Um, right under R. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Is there any way that that is in any measure uh, not understandable? (laughs) May the word of God be with you. In you, around you, beside you, the word of God. 
and the relationships that we experience happen in our families, in our homes, in our relationships, in our jobs, in our work. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Relationships that change your life. Another part of growth is obedient living. Remember in the, in the, um, in the uh, Great Commandment, uh, that we read earlier, Matthew 28, it says teaching them to obey. Part of discipleship is teaching them to obey. Obedient living. Using our gifts in witness and in service. This kind of radical obedience to God. To love your neighbor as yourself. And the radical part of obedience, because it's kind of easy to love your neighbor unless they throw weeds on your side of the fence. But I'll tell you what, uh, the radical part of obedience is, is to love your enemy. Did you know that Christianity is the only religion that says you should love your enemy? All the other religions say you should nuke your enemy. You know, Jesus said you're supposed to love your enemy. Wow, that's different. That's radical. That's obedient living. Micah 6.8 says, He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. And the last part of grow God's word relationships, obedient living, is worship. The word worship comes from the Greek word liturgia, where we get the word liturgy. Liturgia means the work of the people. So worship is not God tickling your fancy or you being pleased by the kind of music we sing or something else. Liturgia is your work in giving, ascribing to God his praise and his beauty and his wonder. This morning as we were singing, he's mighty to save. I just stopped singing for a minute. And I can hear the worship team up here. But what I can really hear is you singing. He is mighty to save. You know, he can move mountains and you believe it and you worship it. And you raise your hands and you raise your voices and you worship God. First Corinthians, first Chronicles 16, 29 says, ascribe to the Lord glory to his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And in Romans 12, 1, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. That's how to grow God's word, relationships, obedience, worship. Now, the practical side, and this is where I want to I want to settle in for a few moments. The practical side is how can I help us understand this morning? And I asked myself this question this last week. How can I understand what this means in a deeply personal way? Because if it's not personal, it doesn't really count, right? I just, I don't need any more head knowledge. I've, I've, I'm putting so much stuff in my head, there's stuff coming out the other side because there's not a room for it all. And you're probably the same way. To grow means to become a disciple, a Christ follower. My father um, was not uh, a very talkative man. And um, but when he spoke, you listened, you know, kind of E.F. Hutton kind of thing. I'm sorry. That's one of those things that most of you don't even know what that means. If you're laughing, you're old. OK, uh, so here we go. So so my, my dad didn't talk much, but but he acted. He lived out his faith. And I remember one time when I was in high school, uh, the men once a year in our little church, Crest Community Church, would go on a prayer retreat. And it would be a Friday night, Saturday where they would go and they just pray. Now, to a 15, 16 year old kid, that sounded like, ah, you know, put a gun to my head. You know, how can you pray for a day and a half? You know, and I thought that just sounds awful. 
But my dad said, son, you know, I think this would be really good for you uh, to grow as a Christian, to come along with the men on this prayer retreat. Now, I really respected my dad and I wanted to please him. So I said, yes, I, I still wasn't too hot on the idea. But because one thing they, they described that they did is they prayed through the night. And that sounded awful to me. You know, I, I, I know I wasn't very spiritual. Neither were you when you were 15. Don't laugh at me. You would have said the same thing. That sounded awful to me. But do you know what we did Friday night? We prayed through the night. I was so brought into the presence of God and the spirit of God. Now, there are times that I drifted off to sleep. I'm sure others did, too. But throughout the night, we prayed. The next day, my dad and I went kind of walking out in the woods. It was uh, a place that you could do that. And, And he didn't say much. But what his message was is that, son, this is how you get strong. This is how you get strong in your faith. This is discipleship. What does it mean for you and I to be a disciple. I, I want to just share some very personal, uh, personal paths that I've discovered to discipleship. Maybe they'll be helpful to you. The first one is literally doing what Brother Lawrence says, an ancient uh, church father, practicing the presence of Christ. Now, that sounds kind of mystical and everything. It's not. Practicing the presence of Christ means this, according to Brother Lawrence. Being aware of and conscious of Every moment of the day that Jesus is with you. Now, the reality is, I know that's true. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27, right? I know that's true. I know Christ lives in me. I know the spirit of Christ lives in me, dwells in my life, and he's there all the time. He doesn't leave me. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So that's all good. I know that. But Brother Lawrence took it a step further. Be aware of it. Don't just know it. Feel it. Think it. Understand it. Practice the presence of God. Christ, he used to say, Brother Lawrence said, Christ be in me, Christ before me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ behind me, Christ around me, Christ in the midst of every place I go and every person I see. Isn't that beautiful? Practice the presence of God. Peter, as uh, he's kind of the uh, poster child for being an idiot, and that's why we all love him so much, because Peter was a great church leader, but before he became a great church leader, he made all kinds of mistakes. And he was one of the first, the chosen 12, and he was a fisherman, and he was hothead, and he what, liked to chop off ears, and he did wrong things. But the thing about Peter, every time he was standing next to Jesus, he had this enormous charisma and this enormous power about him. As soon as he was separated from Jesus, like the time Christ was in being tried and he was out in the praetorium in the, in the area, he was just separated from Jesus by a 100 yards, and he lost all of his power. And then we see him again at Pentecost. And he's filled with power. Why? Because the presence of the Holy Spirit was with him. Every time Peter knew and believed and lived out Christ's power in him, he was an enormous presence in the world. Every time he lived like Jesus wasn't around, he was nothing. He was an idiotes. He had nothing to offer. That's you. That's me. Two people walking on the road to Emmaus after the crucifixion. Christ came alongside and began talking to them. And in Luke 24, we read these words. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. They recognized Jesus and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? How often do you say that? My heart was burning within me. I'm not talking about from a burrito late last night. I'm talking about the spirit of the living Christ 
so alive in you that your heart is burning with his presence and you can't even contain it. That's what I'm talking about. Practice the presence of God. Another way that I think you can truly be a disciple and be a discipler is by practice telling your story of faith. So many people I've run into in my years of ministry said, I love Jesus, I want to serve him, but I can't witness. And whenever people say that, I think, well, they, then they're, and I don't think bad of them, because there was a time when I thought the same thing. I, I, they just don't understand what a witness is. Here's what a witness is. I saw somebody cross the street an hour ago. Okay, that, you're, you just were a witness. What you did, basically, is you told what you saw. You told what you experienced. I, I fell in love with Sherry when I first met her uh, 41 years ago. Okay, I just bore witness. I, I just witnessed to you about an experience that I had. That's what I'm talking. That's what the biblical witness is. It's not being an evangelist, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I have the gift of evangelism. Many of you do too. There's not being, having the gift of evangelism. It's simply being a witness by telling your story. The blind man was healed, and Jesus put the goop on his eyes, you know, the, the spittle and the mud, and, and he washed it off, and he could see, and the, and the Pharisees jumped out of the weeds and said, Aha! You, uh, who's that guy that healed your sight on the Sabbath? And you thought, are you kidding me? You're worried about the Sabbath? The guy can just, he can see now? He was blind and now he, he can see and you're worried about the Sabbath? Well, yes, they were. And, and so, and so, and the guy, they say to this man, who did this? He, he's a sinner because he did this on the Sabbath. Who is that guy, Jesus? And the blind man said, I don't know who he is. I don't know where he came from. I don't know any of his teachings. I don't know any doctrine. I don't know any Bible. I don't know anything. But I can tell you this. 30 seconds ago, I was blind. And now I can see. That's your witness. When someone asks you about your story, tell them your story. Don't tell them how you were raised in Nebraska. Nobody cares about that. You tell them about how Christ has transformed your life. People care about that. Muslims care about hearing how, stories of how Jesus transformed people's lives. Did you know that? People want to hear your story. And the only way I can tell you to do it is practice telling your story. We are people of the story, transforming lives. Once I was blind, but now I see. And, and the last thing I want to share with you that has helped me in becoming a disciple and helping other disciple others is practice living in community. There's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christians. Anybody that tells me, well, I love Jesus and I love God, but I, I don't go to church. I don't fellowship with other Christians. Do you know what that tells me? They don't know anything about the Bible. Because the Bible is filled, teeming with community and relationships. And everything is done in community and relationships. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. First of all, the thing you say, how can I spur each other? How can I spur you on to loving good deeds? Well, I can't do that if I don't know you. I can't do that if I'm not in community with you. And then he goes on and says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. Almost every enormous event in my life has been around the church. Um, my mom says that I was three days old when I first went to church. And she says, and you better not miss ever again. I, of course, I didn't understand her. I was only three days old. But that was our family. And, uh, and I was uh, baptized in my church when I was 16 years old. And I was married in the church. And my children were baptized in the church and confirmed in the church and married in the church. And I got, thank God, I got to be a part of all of that. 
But I, look, I think back and I think of the tragic times when our son Tyler was killed. Our family came out from San Diego and they stayed with us, of course. But our church, when we were in the hospital waiting, we still didn't know if Tyler was alive or dead. We were a hundred people from our church were crammed into this this little room, this waiting room. Uh, I mean, they had the fire marshal come in and say, some of you people are going to have to leave. But we were crammed in there. And one after another, people would come up. They didn't know what to say to us, so they just sat down and they either prayed for us or they just opened the scripture and started reading. That's the church of Jesus Christ. You can't live without it. You try. I know we all tried. You can't live without it. Every significant thing in my life. Some of my closest and best friends today are people that I was in, we were in seminary with and we were in a supper club. And the and supper club in those days meant something different than what it might mean to you. What it meant in those days is none of us have anything to eat. Let's throw together whatever we do have and see if we can make a meal. That was supper club and seminary. And those four couples are still our closest friends today. There's something about being in community, living our life in community, getting mad in community, uh, having sins in community, having love in community. All of these things we call are called to do together. We need each other. Iron sharpens iron. We grow in community. That's why we challenge each of us to be part of a grow group. Jesus often referred to the Holy Spirit as the comforter. After the ascension, Jesus went into heaven. He said to his disciples, you know, I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit, the comforter. And he will be the presence of me, presence of Christ in your life. And okay, whoever's phone went off, you have to buy pizza for everybody. That's the rule. And, uh, and <laughs> that's why some of you are good about it. So anyway, so, so the Holy Spirit, uh, he's going to be with you forever. And that's awesome. And, and, and like, but the, the word for the Holy Spirit in the Greek, the Greek word is paraclete. Paraclete was a, an ancient warrior's term in Greece. And a paraclete, Greek soldiers would always go into battle in pairs. They were always paired up. So when the enemy attacked, they would draw back to back, covering each other's blind side. One's battle partner was a paraclete. That's the same word for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has my back. But here's the good news. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Holy Spirit in you has my back as well. The Holy Spirit in me has your back. The Lord wants us to do battle knowing that the Spirit of God is with us doing battle with each other back to back. Practice the presence of Christ. Practice telling your story of faith. Practice living in community. Second Peter 3.18 Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Bow your heads, please. Father, we thank You for this call that you've placed on our lives is not something that we've cherished, certainly. It's not something we've even wanted, but you, you made it very clear that when you become a child of God, there is a call, a purpose placed on your life. And it's very simple and it's very profound. Make disciples. Church, you are plan A and there's no plan B. Making disciples is my responsibility and your responsibility. And the only way I can do that is if I'm growing in my faith personally, I'm so filled with the word of God and filled with praise that spills into other people's lives. I sit down and I pour my life into others. We have so many people, Lord, in our church who are being mentored by other people. That's what it means to make disciples. And Father, we are called 
to be a disciple-making body of Christ. Help us to live out that call on our lives. Father, I'm just, I feel uh, an urge this morning that, that there may be so, those here this morning who do not know you. And I just want to make it clear that if you're, if this, even some of this, this kind of talk is foreign to you, maybe you don't really know everything that we've been talking about, but, but there's something inside of you that's kind of urging you or nudging you. There's, there's a sense inside of you that, that God is wanting to speak to you. Can I, can I tell you what that is? <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God saying, I love you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to know you. I want to forgive you. I want to have life with you. I want you to spend eternity with me in heaven. And so right in the quietness of this moment, I just want to invite those of you who have never personally given your hearts to Jesus Christ to just simply say a a prayer with me. And again, the prayer doesn't save you. What saves you is a heart that is open to God and open to his spirit. But the prayer is a good way to indicate what you're thinking and feeling. So if you'd like to just pray with me, uh, just repeat after me this short prayer, uh, not out loud, but in the quietness of your own heart and tell the Lord what you're feeling and just pray something like this. Dear Father, I know I need Jesus. I'm not sure how I know that, but something today has spoken to my heart, and I need Jesus. I need my sins to be forgiven. I need to experience life everlasting. I need to know that God is real. I need Jesus. And so by faith, and I don't have a lot of faith, but I've got a little bit of faith, Lord. By faith, I invite Jesus Christ into my heart, into my life, to be my Savior, and to be my Master, to be my Lord. And I invite Him in by faith, knowing that I can live forever. And so I thank you, Lord, for this new faith in me. And I pray it in Jesus' name. With your heads still bowed and your eyes closed.